to CITR Radio 101.9 FM broadcasting live from Unseated Muscular Church Orient in Vancouver. I'm your host Margarita Galper. I'm joined by Lua. Hi everyone. And we and are this is the Arts Report. <laughs> this is the Arts Report. Diving right into a live interview. Yeah. And so we have some very fun stuff planned out for today. A lot of interviews. And we're actually going to start uh, interviewing Linnea Ritland. Is that correct? Yes. Your name? Perfect. Yeah. And Linnea, you are a director of two shorts that are going to be part of the Vancouver Queer Film Festival that's starting tomorrow. Yeah. That's Very exciting. exciting. <laughs> Very exciting. So you do, uh, this is not your first film. You have won an award uh, in 2017 for one of your shorts. Yeah, for Violet in June. Mm. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> it's like, do you think one of your shorts this year might? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was on the judging panel for one last year, and that was fantastic. So I, it's really a mixed bag. I don't know. We'll have to see the other shorts first. Awesome. And so the two shorts that you uh, produced this year are called Everything's Great and Amateur Dramatics. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched both of them, and um, they were very interesting. I do, I did love your shots. They were very interesting shots. And I wanted to start asking about, um, first, how did you get into creating shorts? Like, what was your interest and why queer shorts? Yeah, so, I mean, ever since I was 12, I loved watching YouTube videos. <laughs> so I started there, like a very internet um involvement at first and then I decided to go into the UBC film program awesome. um, and from there they really encouraged making shorts so Violent June was actually my third year short the first like large short that I produced um, and then that got picked up from the Queer Film Festival. As for why they're queer I mean it's mostly just because I am also queer so I just think like it's more interesting to have a more like diverse range of perspectives in uh, the media that we create so since I have this perspective I just really want to like explore it and explore films within it. Awesome. Yeah. 
And so let's talk about Everything's Great because sure. out of the two, Everything's Great was definitely my favorite. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting to me because actually this week I was talking to a few career friends and we were talking about the idea of being a baby gay, like having yeah. the baby gay phase. Yeah. And that's what I got from. Yeah, she feels very like <laughs> at the beginning of her, like the main character, Charlie, she feels very like naive and young and she's just exploring herself for the first time in like a lot of different ways. So where did the, the inspiration to write this short came from? Well, so that's also very personal. Um, my family kind of imploded a couple of years ago because of my father's alcoholism. Um, and then like a couple of key moments that happened there. I had, I watched um, Punch Drunk Love actually. And like the feeling of this like tension and building um, really struck with me. And I was like, wow, there's been a, a couple of things in my life that have happened that feel like that like tense building. So I started from a couple of those scene ideas and then like slowly made it not about me and more about like the idea of this character who's um, exploring like this super uh, unstable time and like trying to find out things about herself and like trying to have this new relationship um, amidst all of this turmoil. So, yeah. and also very um, almost clinging onto a relationship that we as an audience know is not working yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. It's very one-sided. Yeah. And I've just felt so sorry for her, and I was like, <laughs> no, girl, like. <laughs> You can, you can do better. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I think, like, especially when, like, you're new to things, when you're, like, a baby gay, when you're just exploring yourself for the first time, you can accidentally fall into these, like, toxic habits because you really don't know that much better. And, like, you're thinking that this is the stability that you can have. Like, this is as stable as it gets. But, of course, we know, hopefully, from experience <laughs> that it's much better than this in real life. And there was this one line that really got to me. And I don't know if I want to say it. it was like, If you'd like, <laughs> sure. But, um... Sometimes you got to replace things don't work. Don't, it doesn't matter how many times your butt, ha butt has touched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And although it's like in relationship to a toilet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, the whole film revolves around like there's a broken toilet as well. There's a lot of it's it's a comedy drama ultimately. So, But it just really felt so true. And so like it resonated with me so much, especially with like it's so funny that it's like, oh, it's things that my butt has touched. <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally, I think I stopped, paused the film in that moment. I was like, what are all the things my butt has touched? <laughs> your butt touches not that many things. It's kind of like kept cloistered for most of your life. So it's like the things that you unveil it for, very rare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now let's talk a little bit about amateur dramatics. Sure. So it's a little bit uh, shorter. Well, a lot yes. shorter. Yeah. Um, and it's almost as a, a single scene. Mm-hmm. Where the inspiration for that one came from? Because it's a completely different story. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I made it in the film program as well as Violin and June. Um, and with this, I wanted to explore more, like, minimalist filmmaking techniques. Like, everything's great. Everything's told in one shot. So it's still quite minimalist. But here it's, like, one room, two characters, one scene, one moment. Um, so... Uh, in, in the UBC film program, a lot of the resources are quite limited in terms of what you can do. Like there's a time limit, there's like a budget limit, all these things. So I wanted to just have like this really simple piece that explored desire and like people interacting with each other. And like I had written it way back and before in like high school or something like this piece of like the idea of actors rehearsing with each other and then something coming of it more than them just acting. Um, that I sort of took that old piece of writing and then made it a little better <laughs> no longer in high school wrote, wrote a little better so um yeah it was like this connection of an old piece of writing but then like revamped to explore this minimalist filmmaking technique and uh, that it was that film shot in the frederick wood theater because i was like i think i recognize this yeah it actually had its first ever screening in the freddie wood which was very surreal that's cool yeah. that's very meta <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And throughout this entire process, what has been your favorite part with um, the specifically the Vancouver Queer Festi- Film Festival? Um, honestly, with the Queer Film Festival, it's great to obviously have something in Vancouver that I can go to because I am from Vancouver. But it's always great to have like the community coming together and like to have, um, I, th- I think with Violet and June, when I went um, two years ago, they were like the most amped up, most like they laughed the most. They were the most into it. They loved the film so much. So it was just like seeing a film that I created, like be loved by a community I'm in. was just fantastic. That's awesome. And is there anywhere where we can see Violet in June? Um, it is. Well, it's currently um, licensed by a by Tello Media, which is a lesbian streaming film services. If you really, really, really want to see it, you can go to my website, LinneaRitland.com, and then email me, contact me, and I can probably send you a link to a screener. Awesome, because now I'm very curious about it. You talk, and it won an award, so like I yeah, want to see it. It's very fun. It's very cute, bouncy. Um, yeah, and your your style of directing is very interesting as well. Well, I found it very interesting. Thank you. Um, a lot of the scenes had dialogue off screen, which is not something that we usually see. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason that you decide to do those sti- that style? I mean, I don't know. I mean, in terms of off screen dialogue, I think like it helps explore the space that you're in. Like it gives more of a sense of like there's things happening that you can't see. I mean. Um, I was talking about minimalism. Like I, minimalism films, I do enjoy a lot because they really focus your attention on one thing, and there are other things going on off screen. Like there is another world that you cannot see, um, but because it's a minimalist film, you're like forced to just focus on like what you're looking at. Um, so I guess in that sense, the off screen dialogue ends up like showing you that like what you're looking at is limited, and you like can only see what you can see. Not sure if that really explains, but like I guess that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> it's really a way to. Um, like show I mean it it does a lot of things at once it like shows the filmmaking process of like oh you cannot see them but you can hear them wow interesting like films are limited in what you can see but also like it almost brings you into like more of the perspective of one character as well I don't know there's a lot of different uses for it amazing and um this is not the world premiere of either of these films but is it going to be the Vancouver premiere um they've screened at very small festivals so this is like the big Vancouver (laughs) yeah they've also screened um the first time they played in Vancouver was part of or at least for amateur dramatics, because it was made in the film program. It was played as part of the graduating uh, block of films there. Um, so that was a year ago at this point. So, yeah. It and is certainly, like, an important screening. It's the first queer film festival screening here. So, And how has it been received before? People, I still haven't really got a lot of chances to see amateur dramatics. It hasn't screened as much. But with everything that's great, like, all that I hope is just that people laugh <laughs> and that people feel something by the end. And it's, like, as long as people are reacting to it and they're not just, like, staring blankly is fine and every single time at least a couple people have laughed it's interesting to see people laugh at but like Jess McLeod like the main actor is such an incredible actor and she like got the comedic beats so well that like it's almost inevitable like people are gonna enjoy it so and what are you excited about for this Vancouver Queer Film Festival well besides your own films yeah no I mean I'm excited to see my films but like I've been like going through the program there's like a lot of indigenous works that I'm super excited to see because like it's a great perspective to see um I'm excited for the galas. I'm excited for, like, there's a couple, there's a documentary workshop that I'm excited about. Lots of things. Awesome. <laughs> well, um, the pr- festival is starting tomorrow, mm-hmm. and there's a lot, a lot going yeah, on. for sure. And I hope everyone ha- gets a chance to see it. This festival, it's obviously not its first year, and it's been building and growing, and now it's kind of like... There's something it for has, everyone. Yeah, yeah, and it's growing. It's growing momentum is so great, mm-hmm. especially in the world that we live in today. Um, the other thing I wanted to know 
is um and so they are in different categories correct your shorts yeah and so could you remind us which category and when would they be screening yes so um amateur dramatics is part of the youth shorts program i believe it's on saturday you'd have to check that <laughs> i'm really not sure um everything's great is part of the coast is queer program which is all of the local shorts um and that is on thursday august 22nd i remembered that one awesome. <laughs> um I actually do have one more question. Well, it might become several more questions just because I'm very curious about filmmaking and going to school to study film. Sure. And I think a lot of people that are listening to our radio and some a lot of students for film, hopefully. might <laughs> be interested as well. Yeah. And so um, I know uh, well, from what you said before that you were always re interested in film and you did your BFA here yes. at EBC. Um, what is like... A lot of, well, considering that a lot of people just go into the film interesting, I was like, I'm going to go into the yeah, film Yeah, without schooling. Yeah, without schooling. So what do you think is the benefit of actually go, coming to school and doing it? Versus yeah, so, I mean, um, there's a lot of different benefits. So if you go straight into film without school, you usually end up doing um, below-the-line jobs, so like grip, electric, all of these. Um, they're kind of like skilled labor but in film there's not a lot of creative input when you do those jobs they make a lot of money but they're very tiring such such and such but what film school provides is like this kind of sandbox for you to just explore yourself as an artist for several years and also building like a community of other artists around you so a lot of I made so many great connections in film school like just within my class and like people that they do like you kind of build your network and and again it provides like you have to make so much work for the program that you end up exploring your style and art itself so you learn about yourself and you learn how to make art so that's awesome yeah. and how many films have you done like up to the po this point oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> too many <laughs> Quite a few. i mean there, there's three main ones right and then I've, I'm, I've just finished actually directing a piece for the um vaf uh, filmmaking competition so that's like a fourth and then i don't know there's a lot of like little tiny things you make in film school like if a t one minute film really counts as a film then like i don't know maybe i yeah. think it does it's yeah. just like very short short so i don't know right? like 40 i don't know i'm not really sure wow. but i mean I, I also make um videos as part of my job at UBC, um, I work on a couple of projects, so it's like, do those count as films? I make so many for those, I don't know. So That's awesome. a lot, but maybe five like official ones. Yeah, like five official ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, two uh, for sure that are premiering. Yeah, for sure. This weekend? Yeah, this weekend. Yeah, so there's one on Saturday, I believe. I'm pretty confident that it's on Saturday, and then there's one on Thursday next week. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. I'm very excited to see what's going to be shown at the Queer yeah. uh, Film Festival this year. Every year it's great. And but like I, I put money on it. So that is going to be amazing again. <laughs> it's always a good time. And you got to so, see it for yourself, as they say. Exactly. <laughs> and everything is very, um, very open. Everything, everyone there is always very accommodating for everyone. So if you are interested in not only checking out Linnaeus, Linnaeus to films, but there's also full length features on there. Uh, basically a lot of stuff. Uh, film festivals are honestly my favorite things. Yeah. Um, you just get to experience so well, many different, yeah, and yeah. so many different things that you won't be able to see anywhere mm -hmm. else mm -hmm. ever. But anyway, we're going to go into a quick ads and PSA breaks. Um, are also today is Margarita's first time hosting. And so this is fun. <laughs> everything said, everything good. Yeah, we're going to PSA. Okay. Awesome. Great. Hello everyone, this is Lua, and I am really happy to be here um, today. No, it's not. 
Did you know that Canada has its own empress? And Vancouver has an empress too. This is Glenn Tukoc, creator of the Really Gay History Tour. And right now I'm standing outside the fabulous Commodore Ballroom on Granville Street. In 1972, here, Vancouver crowned its very first empress. And our city has crowned a new drag empress, or emprix, and a new drag emperor every year since then. The various empires of the imperial court system are spread all across North America. It is one of the largest queer organizations in the world. Canada's first court was established in 1971 by a man named Ted North. He fought valiantly to end the criminalization of homosexuality, and he even faced a backlash within the queer community from some who were opposed to his feminine persona. Within the imperial court, he was recognized as the Empress of Canada. It was a title that even our Prime Minister acknowledged when Pierre Elliott Trudeau called Ted North and addressed him as Your Majesty. Ted North was the Empress of Canada for 50 years until he passed away in 2014. And just recently, a West End laneway was named for him to honor his courageous struggle. It's a laneway we visit on the Really Gay History Tour every Sunday at 2 p.m. and every day of the week during Pride. You can find out more at ForbiddenVancouver.ca. Montreal's electro-pop duo, Milk and Bone, play the Fox Cabaret on August 30th. Tickets are on sale now at eventbrite.com and Red Cat Records. Presented by MRG Concerts, CITR Radio, and Discorder Magazine. And we're back, but actually I had the opportunity to conduct an interview with a amazing artist, and um, I hope you enjoy it. This project, we talked about her residency, and yeah, it was just really cool, and I hope you guys enjoy it. She works with a type of art that is not super common, so yeah, let's hear it. Hello everyone, this is Lua, and I am really happy to be here today with Kwa Not Angela George, who is an artist who's going to be participating in the Blue Cabin Floating Artist Residency that's happening um, here in Vancouver. And the Blue Cabin Floating Residency is a very interesting project because it is a literal blue cabin that has been moved from North Vancouver to here in False Creek. And this was a little cabin that was located in a land that was resold for redevelopment. And to avoid demolition, it was moved to this place in North Van and now has been re-basically re reconstructed um, and re-engineered in a way that its design is built as very energy efficient and it's a tiny house and it's a very interesting project because it does not only allow a space for artists to practice their residency but given Vancouver's history with the housing crisis it allows a very cheap and innovative way of uh, creating a space for artists. 
So there are five different artists that are going to participate in the residency throughout the entire year. And when are you participating, Angela? I believe my dates have been confirmed uh, November to January, November, mid-November to mid-January. And so this is a process that each artist has a little bit of the cabin for a time? Yes. And you live there. Well, we can live there. I mean, my understanding is it's pretty open. We can invite other artists from out of town to come and stay there. Uh, We can have um, open houses and classes, and we can stay, you know, or not. Some of us live locally. We can have, you know, perhaps elders or other weavers coming from out of town stay in our place. Yeah, so it's pretty, pretty open and very, very exciting. And are you planning on having any artists come and join you? Yes, um, I'm actually using some of the um, research time to start collaborating with elder artists and, um, you know, just trying to pull together more information, more resources, and make the most of this um, opportunity. That's amazing. And have you met any of the other residential residents? than see artists? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, um, they're actually all my relations. Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah, all my <laughs> relatives, uh, Janice and Buddy and uh, Deborah Sparrow are, have been very instrumental in my own learning and growth as a weaver, um, as well as many others. Um, they're just, it's just an honor to be um, taking part in this residency um, with with artists and weavers of their stature. Very, very exciting and um, just a great honor for me. And I know you, I asked this I asked this to you before, but I'd love to hear it again so everybody knows this beautiful story that you have with weaving. Could you tell us a little bit more about your connection and why you started to weave? Yeah, I think, you know, seeds were planted a long time ago for me to want to learn how to weave and want to become a weaver. I I really believe it's just in our DNA. So, you know, when the opportunity came for me to learn weaving, I was actually running a program to for the community I work in, I live and work in, Slowatooth. And I brought classes there, uh, responding to what some of the community members were expressing, you know, that they wanted to bring to the community in terms of cultural programming. So I brought in a weaving instructor, and a seat became available. So I was kind of, you know, coordinating and organizing, and I took the opportunity to to sit down at the loom and start to weave. And I really feel like it's, you know, it it was very natural for me. I just got pulled right in to the loom, so to speak, and um, I really my understanding, you know, is I've just had an innate connection to it through my mom. I believe she planted seeds a long time ago. Um, My late mother attended residential school and I recall her making a comment. I was a young, young girl and I remember her commenting that she really wished she could learn how to weave because it wasn't anything that she was able to do in residential school and there was no exposure to it growing up for her. So... I think she planted those seeds for me a long time ago, and really it's just my honor. I feel like now that I am a weaver, she can come and weave through my hands. You know, that's a a belief of mine, and I feel like it's a connection 
connecting the past, bringing it here to the present and carrying it into the future by teaching, you know, my daughter, my granddaughter, my grandnieces and several nieces and basically anybody that wants to learn, you know, I try to make time for that. It's just, to me, such an important component of our reconnection, our repatriation and, um, you know, it's it's um, just an honor to be a part of this weaving resurgence, you know, it's an exciting time right now for Coast Salish weaving. And it's a beautiful art form that should not be lost in any way. Mm-hmm. And um, part of the Blue Cannon Project is also implementing workshop and classes. Do you already have a few of those planned out? Yes. Um, I have sort of ongoing instruction with several nieces and people who have, you know, keep kind of coming back to learn more. You know, as I was mentioning to you earlier, we... Um, many of us weavers take the time to share what we know and it's it's um, it's um, I feel blessed to have been given the opportunity to learn how to weave and I feel like it's my responsibility you know so I carry that and I try to teach those who you know who want to make the time to learn so um, a part of the Blue Cabin residency will be opening you know, some open house type of opportunities to bring people in and connecting and really making the most of the opportunity to bring weavers together of all backgrounds and, you know, all levels and from, you know, throughout different locations. I mean, there's weaving connections down into... Uh, the state of Washington and up in the Fraser Valley, you know, in Vancouver Island. Um, we're quite a growing community, so it's an exciting opportunity to bring people together, to learn from each other and, you know, to support and to share our knowledge. You know, there's there's still a lot to learn. That's good to hear. There's always a lot more to learn and mm-hmm. to know that people are open to learning that. That's the really exciting part, I think. And um, I was curious, so you do have a preparation time and you have an installation time, correct? Mm-hmm. For the preparation time, are you creating the pieces and they're gonna you're going to come into the installation with them ready? Or is it kind of like an ongoing project and once you're in the installation, you're also creating? Uh, my plan is to do both. So I, I, I will be creating um, a large panel um, wall hanging as a part of my capstone project. I'm currently completing my last component, which is a a final project, a capstone for my EMBA program. So it's a master's in business um, degree that I've been doing for the last two years. And um, in October, I present my capstone and, and for my project, I'm researching and working on a a large weaving, which will be, um, I guess it's going to demonstrate how our Coast Salish weavings hold our knowledge. They're not just art forms, you know, they they hold our history, our traditional laws. Um, So the the big panel piece that I'll be working on is a project that I'm doing for the Tsleil-Waututh Nation. Um, It's going to be our constitution. And it's going to hold um, much like an, an, a, 
a written constitution. It's going to demonstrate our oral tradition and it's going to to show how these are like our encyclopedias. This is like our history book. When you look at a weaving, there's there are it contains a lot of knowledge and that is how our Coast Salish people sustained our ways, our culture, our traditional laws, our practices, and our connections to each other and to Mother Earth and all and all all living, all humanity, right? So it's very exciting for me to be able to tie these two major projects together. It's kind of all just coming together. Yeah, I've always found it fascinating. Um, I come from a family which is very mixed and a lot of our history is lost. And I feel that with First Nations, with a lot of history being lost, sometimes you attach yourself to um, like an object or something, like weaving in your case. And you take so much meaning from that. And it's just truly beautiful to see how important it becomes. Mm -hmm. And so for your preparation process, how have you been how have you been preparing? I've been reaching out to older weavers and um, those who have knowledge and understanding of some of the this connection and how how integral our weaving designs are. So I'm and I'm also reading all of the you know I have several weaving books. Um, the one that Janice and Buddy wrote, and uh, a few of the other older weaving resources, and also researching, I mean, rereading a lot of my traditional law material um, that I picked up through my SFU EMBA program. And it's just fascinating how it's all tying together. You know, like our our ancestors had all of this knowledge and they had a way of sustaining it and a, a way of protecting it and preserving it and ensuring that it stays alive so even through the whole era of residential school and all of the losses suffered you know we've been able to hang on to who we are it's deeply embedded in our weavings in the carvings in totem poles and in our oral traditions our stories they hold our laws. They hold, you know, everything that we need to know about our traditional systems and structures. You know, we had we had a way of governing, and uh, that's definitely an area of interest for me. So I've been researching that and um, planning and preparing, you know, how it's all going to come together through this residency. Um, just a, a very exciting opportunity for me very profound it's lovely to hear someone as passionate about you about weaving as you uh, to talking about it I love mm -hmm. to hear people talk about the things they're passionate about it's just fascinating um, and what are you most excited about or looking forward to about this residency this residency you know I it's it's all about connecting you know for me when I'm weaving you're you're weaving strands together it's like weaving people it's bringing us together it's it's um weaving a better future you know for me it's about building those relationships it's about learning and growing and and um you know delving deeper into that journey inwards and finding out my connection to weaving you know it's it's 
it's hard to even express or to put into words how profound the connection is. When I sit in front of a loom, it's it's a spiritual window. It's it, you know anything can happen. It's an opening, um, and I'm really looking forward to connecting. You know, with with weavers from from all over. I feel like it's going to really draw people in and create some beautiful opportunities for learning and uh, connecting and not only amongst weavers Coast Salish weavers but just general community and public and anybody who's interested I, I think it's going to create a lot of opportunity to raise the profile and you know to to do a lot of um, reconnecting as well and regarding this connection who is um, not only the workshops and classes, but the entire space open to? Is this is it open to the general public? Yes, there will be opportunity to open it up to the general public. And, um, you know, there can be more closed weaving, weavers gatherings. Um, there can be um, classes of all different, I guess, levels of weaving. Um, I, I've been teaching as well and I, I enjoy teaching brand new weavers and exposing them to it as well as the more intermediate and more advanced weaving classes so I'm hoping to take this opportunity to do all of the above as I'm sure the other weavers are, are also planning on doing. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful opportunity to to bring people in and to bridge you know where there are gaps and create it's kind of like a new a new beginning to be able to pull people together and also from different areas there are weavers in Washington and our paths have crossed and this is another opportunity for you know some innovative ways to bring people together and create some synergy I guess you know amongst all of us weavers well I'm really excited for um, it to be inaugurated and for the the artists to come in that's going to be i'm sure it's going to be very interesting and with the changing artists i'm sure there's always going to be something new to see so it's definitely something to for the next year to keep an eye out for and mm -hmm. go there um check it out make sure you know like what are you gonna like you have a free weekend why not stop by mm -hmm. um so thank you so much for coming and taking your time to do this interview um I hope your residency goes so well, and I'm so excited to see what you have come up with. And I'm very interested in the idea of um, the weaving being your constitution. That sounds fa absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. And again, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me. The 31st annual Vancouver Queer Film Festival takes place this August 15th to 25th at various theaters. Join us for the best in independent queer cinema, performances, workshops, panel discussions, and parties. With over 100 films from 27 countries, the Vancouver Queer Film Festival is more enthralling and entertaining than ever. Tickets are on sale now at www.queerfilmfestival.ca. Do you want to know more about human rights abuses, global issues, and international politics? 
Are you interested in writing to foreign and local governments in response to global crises? Are you ready to give peace a chance? If your answer is yes, then Amnesty International UBC may be the club for you. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash AIUBC or send us an email at amnestyubc at gmail.com. We're back on air. We wanted to do a quick shout out to Vancouver, to UBC Theatre and Film, which have their new season, 2019-2020 season, with many features, such as The Changeling. Changeling looks interesting. Uh, it's a tale of hidden sexual desires, bloody deeds, and characters who realize their intention are less than pure. Also showing Old Stock, Back at 19, and others. We also wanted to say that uh, they have a really good price for students. It's just $32 for a season pass and just eleven fifty for a single ticket. So go to their website and check it out, UBC Film and Theater. And so basically it means like if you're a student, if you want to go to three of these plays, you're already, pay- are you pay- you're already paying for a season pass. Like that's, yeah, that's so how cheap it? it is. It's so cool. And so like if you're a student, please enjoy it because honestly – you're not a student for very long and like no, you're not. enjoying well, culture like this can be expensive <laughs> drags on for some people <laughs> <laughs> and so with that sh- cool shout out we are going we're here today um joined by Vinay felton and we're here to talk to you oh my god can't speak right now um we're gonna talk a little bit about the outdoor summer film series from the Real to Real Film Festival. So, Vinay, you are the executive director and founder of Real to Real. Um, and that was 21 years ago. So, this is the 21st year. That's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel going no, it's, to? <laughs> it's very exciting. It you know, started out as just a small event at the Roundhouse Community Center. Now, we're in two venues at the Roundhouse and the Van City Theater. And we have this summer film series, we, which we did. It was very successful last year. So we're bringing it back this year bigger and better um, with three uh, different programs. So two feature films and then the short, the program of short films, all from Canada. Awesome. And so um, this is all happening at the Ron Bassford Park, right? Yes. And can you tell us a little bit more about that space? Because you were very excited to talk about it before. (laughs) So it's a beautiful park on Granville Island next to Performance Works, um, which um, is also a a great theater venue. And if it rains, and it's not supposed to this Friday, but if it rains, (laughs) we can bring the entire program inside So as a backup. So it's rain or shine. We have these three uh, Fridays. Um, in August, um, the first uh, the first film we're showing is Song of the Sea. It's an Irish animation, uh, Academy Award nominated uh, by Tom Moore. It's a vibrant animation about a seal child and her brother that are searching for their family roots. Uh, it's it's an amazing film. Uh, these are films we have shown at Real to Real or or. Um, yeah, the, all the films in this program we have shown. So it gives you an idea of the kinds of films that are appropriate for all ages. Uh, we are a film festival for children and youth, but actually it's for all ages. A- anyone would enjoy these films. They're not mainstream films. 
And it's really cool to hear about um, films that, well, a film festival in general that's for younger audiences. I mean, it's not very common at all. Right. It's probably the only one I know of is Real to Real. Yes. And um, do you want to talk a little bit more about the other two programs that are happening in August? So there's a short film program. Um, All of these are programmed by Tammy Bannister, who um, is the modes programmer at, at BIF. Mm-hmm. Vancouver International Film Festival. So that's an avant-garde uh, program of short films. There's two of them each year at BIF, and she's the programmer. So she, she has a really good sensibility for films that are unique in every way. But again, they are appropriate for all ages. Like so if, you're re- if you're old, if you're young, if you're yeah. in that weird teen phase where you don't like anything. Right. <laughs> and you want something a little edgier than... <laughs> In, than you would find in, in the movie theater, yeah, for sure. This would be interesting to, to everyone. Awesome. And so, uh, sorry, the second, the the third one is Heidi? Heidi? Heidi. So I, I'm sure you've all heard of or read the book Heidi, the children's classic. Um, and Disney, Disney, I think it was, did uh, a... A version of Heidi but this is completely different this is more authentic to the original which is by a Swiss a Swiss writer um, and it is in German we do believe strongly that it's a good idea to introduce children who can read to subtitles they actually master it very well and have no problem reading subtitles and since Heidi's a familiar story we thought this was a good one to introduce because everyone knows this, or many people already know the story or have read it as a child. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so uh, Song of the Sea is a feature, a length, a yes. full length. And then you have the second screen, second, sorry, I guess this is the first Friday of August. Yeah. Second, second, third, fr- oh my God, August 23rd. Can't do <laughs> yes. math right now. That's okay. It's the uh, short film selection. Yes. And then the last Friday of August is Heidi. Yes. So every Friday of August, if you have, right. if you ha- want a cooler experience, this is some something to go to, and it's a it's completely free, correct? Yes. It's completely free, completely family friendly, open yes. to anyone. I should also mention we have free animation workshops from six to nine. So it's um, the workshops are at Performance Works, and then. R- right adjacent to performance works is Ron Basford Park. And that's a a park that overlooks False Creek. So as you're sitting there watching the movie, you can see the sailboats going behind the screen. Nice. And and the beautiful sunset. And it's just really peaceful and beautiful. And the park is on, it's like a stadium. It's, uh, It's on grass and you should bring a blanket. Um, to sit on, but it uh, it's graduated, so you, everyone has a really good view, and it goes up a hill. So depending on where you sit, you know, you're you're a little bit further from the the screen, but you have a really good view at, at every level. Awesome, and yeah. these workshops, I'm very curious about them. What are they like? Are they f- just for children or anyone? No, anyone can do it. We encourage uh, parents to make a film with their child. Uh, depending on the age of the child. Most children, they come with a great idea and they just go for it. Uh, We have professional animators. Uh, We have cutout animation, object animation, and pixelation. 
and pixelation is animating with your own body. Oh, wow. And it's really cool. <laughs> you can make your hat you know, fly off your head, or you can um, scoot across the floor without using your legs, things like that. It's, That's so cool. It's, it's magical. It's, it's actually how um, uh, special effects works. Amazing. Essentially, that's what children are learning. And these workshops are also completely for free. Completely for free. Amazing. So from six to nine, and then the film starts at about nine o'clock. It's we wait for it to be dark enough, and the films don't go any longer. We're finished everything by eleven or earlier. Cool. And so for the workshops, um, do they get the children get to tape the films that they made home? We post or? them on YouTube. Oh, okay. All of the, f- all all the, the films. films. Yeah. Wow, that must be a big collection. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. It's fun. Wow. And about uh, Real to Real, can you talk us a little bit more, since this is really one of the few um, youth film festivals, this is a really cool thing that's happening over summer, but it's ne- not the only one, and it's relatively new, The this program over this summer. Series. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about Real to Real. I know it's not happening right now, right. but it will happen uh, soon-ish. Um, in April. In April. <laughs> April 15 to 24. Well, in a while, but like, yes. you know, it's something to keep in mind, yes. especially if you end up enjoying this very much. Real to Real is it's like the full thing, right? It's, yes. This is like a little, a little it's taste. It's a taste, <laughs> absolutely. So what we do at Real to Real is we show films, a lot of short film programs and many feature films. Um, and we always have a workshop or a discussion or a Q&A um, with every film. So that's the reel to reel. We show a film and we uh, do a workshop, something in real life um, that's about the film or filmmaking. And can you talk to me about um, why do you think media for children or media for youth is so important? Because I feel that a lot of parents are always like, no, the media is bad and like have it's too much contact and it's just too much. And I'm of the opposite opinion. <laughs> but I also grew up with media surrounding me constantly. Right. And I feel that I'm probably the first generation to have that. Right. And so um, what but your focus on media for youth has happened, has been there for so long. Right. So what made you believe that this was important? I think uh, on a number of levels it's important. One is that we like to offer an alternative to what is out there in the movie theaters and on television. Uh, These are films you will not see anywhere else. Um, Maybe on Netflix, uh, it's beginning to be a a larger variety of film choices um, and other streaming services. But for the most part, these are really hard-to-find films, and they're popular all over the world. These are award-winning films in their own countries. That's amazing. So, And it exposes youth to other cultures and other societies. Um, but we also believe in critical viewing, so we always have some activity associated with the viewing. And a large part of that is discussion. It goes back uh, to the home with the parents or... If it's um, a school group coming, the teacher follows up with a discussion about the film awesome. and, and learning to critique it. 
That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I wish, I mean, I'm, I, I feel that nowadays I have a lot of that background because I was so interested, but it's right. so cool to like, a lot of children don't have that opportunity to get hands-on context and like really think right. about the films that they're seeing, like allowing that is just really cool. Well, yeah. I think so at least. Yeah, no, <laughs> it, it is cool. And the kids, I think, really love the films. They really are. Um, you know, they, I think they enjoy the films, but they also are, are willing, very willing and eager to critique them. Awesome. They have strong opinions. <laughs> Children always have <laughs> strong opinions. <laughs> so uh, just as a reminder, it's Friday, this Friday, the following Friday and the following Friday. So basically every Friday for, of this month, yes. um, a film is going to be shown completely for free at the Ron Bassford uh, Park in Granville Island. Don't miss it. It is for all ages, not just kids. It's um, these are shorts. Well, one of the days is shorts, but the other two are feature lengths for everyone to enjoy. So make sure to check it out. And thank you so much for coming in and talking to us a little bit about it. And so we're going to say our goodbye for the week. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. This was the arts report from uh, here at CITR. Medicine show is up next. And the medicine show is up next. And I hope you enjoyed today's show and I hope you will enjoy medicine show. I They have some really cool performers that I can see already outside. And yeah, honestly, that sounds really cool. I might too, like just stay, stick around to listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. then see we you This is Cal, Jim, and Giz from The Empty Page. And you're listening to UBC Radio, CITR FM 101.9, Vancouver. Vancouver.